you're canceled. Conversation with you're someone. canceled. Yeah, like, I don't want to cancel back. Cancel back. <laughs> cancel back. I'm double cancel back. Hashtag cancel back. This episode is sponsored by TravelIsSwell.com. Stick around and find out how you can get 10% off your next trip to the Caribbean. Welcome, everyone, to another episode of Unlikely Story. We are super excited today to be joined by producer Jerry Ying. Jerry, welcome, my friend. Jerry, welcome to the show. Thank you. Super excited to be in Fresno, California. Super hot and sweaty (laughs) in Fresno, California. (laughs) Feels good in here, though. It's It's nice in here. That's all that matters. Jerry is a producer, and he's also a... um, owner of a production company, Hero LA, which we're going to talk a little bit about. But um, most recently, Jerry produced uh, the feature film Drowning, directed by Melora Walters, starring uh, Mira Sorvino and uh, Jay Moore, Mm -hmm. uh, which is pretty cool. Gil Bellows. That's right. got the great Gil Bellows. Gil Bellows premiered at the 2019 Rome Film Festival. Um, We're going to talk a little bit about that film, I'm sure. Um, And you've just done a bunch of commercials brand integration type stuff. Yeah, a hero. Lot. Yeah, yeah, all the Hero LA, LA stuff. Uh, well, Hero LA is half branded and, you know, we, yeah, and we have a, our partnership, we have, you know, two of my partners focus heavy on that side. I still executive produce on that side, but I'm more focused on the film and TV and. Sweet. So like just coming back from Europe, it was not a Hero LA thing. It was just me as a producer. So. Okay. Yeah, got it. Got, got it. So a little bit independent. <laughs> producing as well. Yeah, You're you also- have to have both sides because a lot of people get trapped in one or the other and it becomes more of a struggle. Uh, yeah. So having partners that can help manage both sides of that aspect is very important. That's its own discussion as partners. Um, yeah. But, you know, my partners, to their credit, out of nowhere, unsolicited uh, in the beginning of this year, said that all the work that I do in the film and TV side out there producing and, and, and working, is uh, that would be just for me. And I wouldn't have to worry about involving Hero LA. But if I could bring the work back, I 100% would. But That's I don't cool. have to worry about – because, you know, when you have – we had four partners. Now we restructured to three. It was already hard enough to make money with four. Yeah. Three is even difficult it is, as it is. And um, anyway, so they gave me that freedom. So that really has kind of launched this last six months for me to go out there and – really push hard for myself as a, as a producer. That's, that's great. That's awesome. You and you that support. You're also yeah. uh, an actor. You've been acting for a long time. Oh, yeah. It's well. been a while. Um, I didn't officially retire. I just ran out of time. You know, <laughs> there's enough mediocre work of me out there in the world that I actually have to work on auditions and you, I just don't have the time. You've been in um, Ray Donovan, Agents of S.H.I.E.L.D., Dexter, Hawaii Five-0. I'm, I mean, a bunch of stuff. It, it's incredible that I had like a 15, 20 year career. I could be really proud. I raised my family as an actor. And oh, yeah, did it without great. having to have a second job, and which is like remarkable, but um, it's miraculous. That is actually, yeah, that like a, a applause yeah, for that. Good, you know, you. Like, good job. <laughs> thank yeah. you. Um, but you know, there's there's very little wealth building there, and um, but I pieced it together between commercials, uh, TV, film, all of it. You know, it was just. I think that's interesting because you make a good point that there's little wealth building there, and if a person was just going straight for just I'm going to be an actor and they didn't like break out and become like a Chris Pratt or a Mel Gibson or whatever. 
then it's it's about consistently trying to work as much as you can on anything you can to kind of keep that flow. Otherwise, you do need to be doing something aside from acting. Yeah. You know, if you're not in it a hundred percent, if you're not going after every audition and after every major thing and wait, putting all you have into it. Even when you are, you still might not make yeah, it. It's not a meritocracy. Right. Yeah. right. So let's just say that like you can have a lot of talent and it doesn't work out, or you can have some talent like myself and it works out for you. But Or you can have zero talent and be one of the biggest stars on the planet. <laughs> there's there's really no rhyme or reason and um Or just make like a sex tape or something. <laughs> And then Damn, have your own I show. Made, I should have released You have your own tape. show. You that's, have your own. That's really where the career needs to go. For it would have. It would have killed my career. <laughs> I'm awful at sexy days. <laughs> well, we're gonna get into talking to Jerry about films he's produced, how we met, and stuff, and and also a little bit more about Hero LA, your 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 company. Yeah. But I think first, Jerry, tell us a little bit about how you got started in your creative journey. How did you get started in making? Yeah, from content? where did you come, and how how was it getting there? Okay, I'll try to be short about it. It, it. Mine was more of a non-start to the creative journey. It was what I knew I didn't want to do. So I was at Columbia uh, studying like advanced sciences, getting ready for, for medical school. Um, oh, wow. Dr. Ying. <laughs> that was uh, my parents' dream, yeah. <laughs> and I kind of just followed along with it because I, I didn't – my friends all moved. We went to Michigan and they all moved to the city and got jobs. And I was like, I might as well just – continue this path and and then I, I had a moment where i realized that um i don't think this journey was for me and so and i was really excelling at that point like in college you know college was college you know i kind of just crammed for every exam but at columbia i really sort of got competitive with it and you know wanted to get i would be like fighting in ta offices for like a, a higher a weird no you wow. would not that's not really my nature wow. but kind of like sports competitiveness got to academics and I was really excelling, but I realized that, well, looking back, connecting the dots, I realized I left because I needed my life to be more creative. Mm. And it wasn't an even a, a clean, clean jump. I didn't know what that meant. I started waiting tables in Soho. And so in a lot of ways, that was sort of my first foray out of the bubble mm -hmm. and realizing that like, this is where I really kind of matured being with, people from all walks of life where where I went to school didn't matter what I did before didn't matter it was like single moms uh gay men angry older people beautiful people you know sort of this this world and right being in Soho that kind of launched me into um, the path I was on kind of it was a lot of creatives down there interesting yeah. that's interesting and so what was your what was your first like what did, what's the first thing you created and filmed or directed or wrote created or whatever? or filmed or wrote? That came probably, that was We Are Fathers, but that came after 15 years of acting. Even that was sort of, I never thought about acting growing up. Mm -hmm. It never crossed my mind. And it was basically waiting tables in Soho where they were like, hey, you should try this. And I was like, me? I'm, I've got long hair. I'm Asian. Not something I'd ever thought about or like never fostered in the home. But slowly I started doing commercials and even then, I didn't think about acting. What was your first gig? <laughs> Commercials? Yeah. So my first, gig, well, all my time, first yeah. gig was a Super Bowl commercial. No oh, way. Really? Okay. Yeah. Budweiser Wasabi. Oh, I'm sorry. No. The Monster.com. I did those two back to back. The okay. Monster.com was a Super Bowl commercial. Okay. That's and awesome. it was reciting Robert Frost's poem, The Road Not Taken. Okay. Which I knew by heart because I went to Robert Frost Elementary School. And I've kind of always lived by that. Oh, nice. And okay. so- First thing I ever did was a Super Bowl commercial. And then the next thing I did was the 
Budweiser Wasabi commercial. So that was kind of big back then. Wait a second. Wasabi. You were in that commercial? Well, here's the interesting story about it. I was actually cast in the original Wasap commercial. Yeah, yeah. The director, I forgot his name. He's great. Um, Cast us and then released all of us because it was a short film he had shot in Philadelphia and then cast his friends. So I was actually cast in the original Wasap commercial they dropped us all at the last minute. He cast his friends. It blew up to be the biggest it sensation blew up ever. Huge. And as a favor, I guess, or as a you know, a gift, they did three more right after that and they just gave me the wasabi one. Oh, okay. So nice. that was kind of That's how that cool. started. Yeah. That's super it's cool. cool to be part of that. I have a little part of that history of like one of the craziest cam greatest campaigns ever for like That's amazing. Yeah. And so do have you ever created anything specifically for yourself to act in, giving yourself a role? I have never, um, every, anything I've ever directed or produced, I've stayed out of it. I mm. feel like um, it's a big enough job to direct and produce, and <laughs> I'm not talented. I'm, I feel like anyone that does it has to be a master of one or the other part. Like a Jodie Foster can probably step in and just act and just do that in her sleep you right. know, and then focus on directing. Right. But not, I'm not equating myself to Jodie Foster. <laughs> right. But what I'm saying is I kind of inherently knew. And on top of that, I feel like if you're an artist to begin with and you want to separate and break out to sort of above the line work, mm -hmm. you really have to make that clean break as opposed to being someone trying to foster their own brand. And so I've always pushed, uh, you know, one of the greatest things about producing and directing is to give other talented friends work yeah, yeah. and to put them into positions to, to shine. But, and I think if you throw yourself in it, it muddles it for everybody. This is just my opinion. Yeah. 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 We wish we could say that. We, well, Travis is in literally everything we've done. <laughs> you are great in it. It's not, well, look, there's necessity. There's it's, necessity. it's always necessity. And money. Though. There's it's a difference. Money. If yeah. I have to be used, I will. But I've managed to just stay as an extra. Yeah. Like, I fight it to the last second. Yeah. Right. Um, That's how it always has been for us. We've never stuck Travis in something because it's like, oh, this is perfect for you as an acting opportunity. It's always yeah. been just it's because like, let's like, save, save money. Here Save money, like look at that role. face, yeah. man. Come on, that's got to be in everything. It's hilarious because he literally is in everything. Held our movie. If I did it. You know? Trust me, everyone I know would be like, "There goes Jerry." Oh, again. there's Jerry oh, again. So, <laughs> like, it, this is an interesting thing because to trans to, to to cross over from an actor to doing what I'm doing now, it was years long of really separating the two things and not mm. conflating, right? And also not self promoting in any way. Yeah, I always pushed Hero LA. First and foremost, so what, as what we were doing, kind of one of the proudest things that I feel like I've accomplished is that when I haven't seen people in a while, they'll be like, hey, how's Hero LA doing? It has nothing to do with me. Yeah. You know what I mean? And yeah. that feels good. That feels Something like I was able to- Something that you built. Yeah. Yeah. That's great. It's a little bit easier for us because we usually co-direct. And so if, if someone's on, it still is difficult co-directing, co-producing, co-all yeah, of that yeah. stuff. Um, but it's it's nice to have someone- who's directing and then I can kind of step aside and get into the role um, if I am acting in something. And uh, you know, that makes it a little bit easier. But if it was one person doing all those things, yeah. I could see how it gets, it's, you're hurting cats to begin with. And it's yeah. difficult enough to do that, uh, at, let alone to be, you know, one of the dogs, uh, sheep dogs or herding dogs yeah, as well on as your the plate. person guiding there's it. Yeah. Plenty on your plate as opposed to worrying about memorizing lines and being, and then to be able to just, you know, zone all that out and yeah. just be an actor. Um, yeah. I've never even done it. So I've never even attempted. So 
I'm, you got a great look. I think we watched we watched John Wick three last night. Yeah. Oh yeah. And there was a guy. I was like, dang, that dude looks like Jerry, man. <laughs> he, he was bald, but your, his face looked a yeah, lot like. Yeah, he had like a cool uh, smile like that, and that cool I, gruff he, look you got. I think I know who it is. It's not the main guy. It wasn't the main bad guy. It was I, he was in is like his name the Roger. Night. Is it Roger? You I don't know. I gotta look it up. He I was in know. the knife fight. In the, yeah, in the beginning. If it is, Roger, I know him well. Do you? And he's like a, a big stunt second unit director, one of my very close friends. I um, like the Iron Chef guy in that one. Uh, <laughs> uh, and he was also in a movie that I watched as a kid called Only the Strong. It was Who's like that? Oh, um, the Brazilian Capoeira. Yeah, I worked with him on Hawaii Five-0. Oh, nice. Okay. Yeah, he's a really nice guy. Yeah. Why am I blanking on his name? He was so cool in that Only the he's Strong. He's one of the nicest guys. We would, we would like mimic all their moves when we were kids, my brother and I, we were like, all right, we just watched that. Let's go outside and do the Jenga and like try to do our like spins and moves. And As I always tell the story when I first came to LA, um, I ended up at, and being invited to this all Asian poker game. And it was like Russell Wong, Sun Kang, you know, all these like- Dang dude, guys. the mathematics in that room has got to be <laughs> off the charts, no, right? No, wrong group. <laughs> no, that's the wrong, wrong group. Wrong group? Oh, darn it. <laughs> um, but I, I remember Ron invited me back to this place and we had this conversation and he was like, you know, hey, so what do you want to do? So on and so forth. And, you know, we had a whole conversation. And like years later, he told me, he's like, yeah, I had that conversation with you and I could tell that you weren't ready. Mm. And that always stuck with me because- you know, especially in this town, it's like, do you, anyone that's a doer or not doer. And when I met you guys, I immediately recognized other people who are doing it. You know, and I think I showed up. I was like, oh, yeah, it's going to be cool. I want to surf. I want to do this. Life would be great. Right. <laughs> you know, I didn't have any focus as to what I wanted to do, but I was working. And that was kind of a handicap. Yeah. You know, in a weird way, because I didn't have to fight for much. Yeah. The worst enemy to a great life is a good life. Yeah. Because you don't feel the need to, to, grind it out harder and work harder uh, uh, than you yeah. are comfortable. I mean, there's always that sense of fear. Like there was never comfort, mm -hmm. but you also weren't like in the Titanic, like with the water rising, drowning, yeah. trying to get through the corridors. Right. Yeah. Um, yeah. That's we, totally true. I think we feel that a lot as independent filmmakers being somewhat outside of the system. Yeah. Because we've had agents and managers at times and, and, but not really been connected to them. I mean, from what we hear, a lot of managers and agents are not really connected to their clients anyway. So us being a little bit further out, it made it feel like we were just forgotten in a lot of cases. And so we've had to like keep going and making things happen for ourselves or creating things out of nothing just to kind of keep going. That's the only way. Mm -hmm. I, I really think even if you have agents and managers that really believe in you, I think you got to keep doing your own thing. And always be presenting new, like you know what I mean. Like, yeah, always yeah. showing up at the table and like, oh, something new's going on, something new's going on, and yeah, I think that generates, um, you know, agents and managers. I've had them all, and even on the literary side, you know, agents' jobs are really kind of to push deals over the line when they're kind of together. Yeah, um, and managers are there, to, you know, to sort of help guide you as well. But ultimately, you just want people in your circle that really believe in you. That's yeah. the it doesn't matter the name of the agency they're with. If someone believes in you, that's the most important thing. Yeah. Um, yeah. I think we've grown to to realize that even more as, you know, as our careers have kind of gone on. I think we find ourselves gravitating more and more towards people, A, that we want to work with that are just awesome people. Yes. But B, people that, like you said, are supportive and believe in tremendum as a, you know, as a thing, not just like 
whatever project we're working on. It's like they believe in what we're doing. and and Yeah, like if people believe that Tremendum sprinkling its sauce on whatever project is going to elevate it, and they know that we do that with everything that we're working on, then it's just, it makes it so smooth. It makes it so great. And and that reputation, I think, is something we want to just continue to strengthen. Yeah. You know what's not very smooth, though, as, as I've heard? Passing a kidney stone. Oh, boy. What are you talking about? Have you heard something about me that heard, happened in the last few days? I heard something recently about you, Jerry. Literally, we were going to do this. We're, didn't we have this plan for yesterday and or something? I can't we remember. Did. Oh, my God. And uh, we saw something on Facebook. I think that Jerry was in the hospital, in the, in the ER. And like, Travis I was like, I don't coming, know if Jerry's bro. coming up. So you just had a, a little bit of a scare, Jerry. Tell us a little bit about this. Yeah. Um. <laughs> For those who don't know, because you were like, I didn't know about this. right? And, and, and let this be a lesson to everyone, a story about to hear. I was saying to Jerry, you know, life happens. Yes. Even when you're a big time movie producer and actor, <laughs> if, life happens. If my story can help one person out there, yeah, <laughs> I'm happy to share it. <laughs> Yeah, no, it came out of the blue. It's like an urban legend myth. I've had friends like telling me like they've gotten it and they they they've been stuck on the floor and can't crawl from the bathroom to a phone. Yeah, and honestly, you're kind of just mesmerizing. You kind of laugh at your friends like that's crazy. Like yeah. that yeah. sucks and that's crazy, dude. I'm sorry, but I went through it and it was to the point where like I thought it was appendicitis at first. So okay. the first thing is if you guys are feeling a sharp sudden pain sort of from like the left side. If it's the right side, it could be your appendix, which is also dangerous because, you know, you hear of like appendix bursting. Yeah. And it's always the same line in movies. Like if you came in 30 minutes later, you'd be dead. Yeah, yeah. yeah. And that was what was ringing through my head because my family's in New York and I was in my bedroom and it started to really, the pain started to come. And I was like, I do not want to be outside that 30 minute window where yeah. they're like, if I didn't make it in. <laughs> So I basically called an Uber, crawled into it. The pain was on my left side. There was a pressure building in my groin area because you basically can't pee. Yeah. And so the this is the feeling. It feels like there's a knife in your side, like an eight-inch chef's knife, and it's constantly twisting. So you have that going on while you have this pressure um, in your groin area that's so uncomfortable. So you're uncomfortable and you're in pain at the same time. Uh, and you're keeled over. You can barely like walk. And so I kind of just did what every responsible person should do is get themselves to an emergency room. Yeah. And then that's when you realize how miserable an emergency room is. You forget. <laughs> oh, yeah. <laughs> they whisked me in and put me in a room by myself, put the curtains around and for two hours left me. And oh, yeah. These oh, were God. literally the words coming out of my mouth. Like, help. Can somebody help me, please? <laughs> oh, no. I, th I think there's something really bad going on. Did Can they get you any help? cranberry juice? No one ever came in to help me. They didn't get you any cranberry juice to help they break that thing up? They gave me nothing. Uh, and as a matter of fact, I kept thinking, what are these other emergency room people thinking? I probably sound like a heroin addict that was jonesing. <laughs> yeah. And yeah. then eventually I got the courage because I really actually thought something bad was going to happen to go outside my area and track down a dude and just look him in the eye and have him see the level of fear yeah, that yeah. was in my uh, eye. Yeah. Finally came in and then, uh, you know, the morphine drip saved me for 
a couple hours. He didn't come in and do one of these things where it's like, oh, sorry, I, I was just busy with this guy that lost his arm, but pff, yeah. what Trust a wuss, me, you know? Hey, how about you? You know, The worst like, oh. part about it was I kept listening to all the conversations going on and none of them felt nearly as dire as mine. Like, <laughs> hey, what you one doctor was joking yeah. with someone over here. Another one was going, none of them, and they were just ignoring my your pain my cries for like you didn't help. get misdiagnosed did you I, I remember one time i i was feeling pain like that and i thought it was a kidney stone turned out it was just like a, a weird bladder infection but i'm in there and i'm talking to the the doctor and he's like um you it might be like gonorrhea and i was like <laughs> i was like i was like it was interesting and i knew it wasn't okay because i've i've only had sex with my wife okay and we're going on August, it'll be 20 years married. Well, congratulations. Okay? Thank you. Um, and I'm like, I mean, there's no possible way. I was like, that's funny, doc. Um, I think it's something else. He's like, well, how do you know? I was like, well, well I know. And I'm like, he just so assumed funny. that everyone By the way, just because you have a doctor's license doesn't mean you're good at your job. I, <laughs> right, and I have right. firsthand experiences about that. But yeah. Just think if you had become a doctor, Jerry, you could have, yeah. you could have, you could have, you know, saved By the yourself. Way, <laughs> thank God I didn't. I literally would, would have been one of the Biggest jerks on the planet. I needed <laughs> every <laughs> year of my 20 year journey as an artist just to develop empathy. Oh, uh, yeah. It's and a kindness. Yeah. Yes. <laughs> I would have been the worst. Kind and you of really need empathy, honestly, to be a storyteller, I feel like, to create characters that audiences can empathize well, with. Well, you should you have know? it as a doctor, but many don't. <laughs> yeah. And, and many. I, well, I wanted to be a surgeon and I'll kind of, you know, I'm, let's just say it's a good thing I didn't become a good doctor. Good thing. I'm glad that you jumped into the space. The creative space, and um, I'm actually I we just were talking about the the about drowning, and the director of that. Mm. She's an actress. Was this her debut? Melora Walters? No, this is as a director. You mean? Yeah, as no, a director. No, she had done a, a feature the year before called Water Lily Jaguar. Mm. That uh, I think Paul Thomas Anderson, Paul Thomas Anderson was an executive producer on. Oh, cool, um, nice. And you know, she, she has a great group of friends. Um, I mean, we could not have made Drowning if it was not for her relationships. You know, from the call sheet from one, from Mira Servino all the way down and Gil Bellows mm -hmm. were established actors. Oh, yeah. And they all came in on, you know, the ultra, on the low budget, SAG low budget deal. Yeah. None of the managers and agents really fought us in negotiations, um, especially with anything union related. And um, yeah, and they were all professionals. I mean, we shot that film in... Nine days, nine or 10 days. Wow. That's cool. Which was crazy. I mean, what was crazier is that we pre-proed in 10 days. So, the, yeah, which was really bad. That's fast. Full unions, full locations, full everything. Yeah. You know, that film landed in our lap January 2nd. And, you know, it wasn't, there wasn't a lot of money to make it. And, but we had to be shooting by January 11th because it was all built around our DP, Chris Seuss, which was incredible. Thank God for him. But we, I looked at my one film partner and I was like, what's the worst that can happen? We'll have a film in the can by the end of January. And uh, yeah, pre-production was bad shit, but the- Just go for it. The shoot was smooth. Nice. We went overtime one day by an hour. Wow. And uh, we made a beautiful film and then premiered at Rome, that's like a, on one of the biggest red carpets I've ever seen in my entire life. That's a nice. good producer Incredible. right there, staying on schedule, getting it done, we getting it done tight. We schedule, we finished two days early. I think we had an 11-day shoot. We finished nine, but that's a credit to, honestly, the professionalism of the actors. 
Yeah, like, the performances they come they in, were dialed in and ready. Yeah. They came in ready, three and a half pages, four pages. I mean, we we moved up scenes, and that's how ready they were. They would come in and nail the rehearsal. Which, by the way, the former actor in me, I'd be on the monitor, and I'd be like. Oh, this is what professionals do. Yeah. <laughs> like, I always kind of looked at rehearsals as no. a way to get off book. They came in right. full script in their minds right. with a plan, wow. fully ready to go. Meanwhile, not being paid any money. Really. Right. That's a true professional. So everyone on this show was a pro and we never waited for camera or lighting. So let amazing. Me, let me ask you, what do you think was... I mean, I know it's French. Uh, uh, obviously, the friendship relationship between... Melora and the the talent is a big deal. Obviously, the content of the script needed to speak to those actors yeah. in order for them to feel like excited mm -hmm. about it and that desire. But I feel like there are a lot of great actors that uh, uh, get paid big budget amounts for big budget films, but that would happily do smaller pieces for little to no money if they feel that it connects. Like uh, J.K. Simmons on Whiplash. Mm -hmm. I mean, he, it was, it, it was, was a, a, short film. a tiny short film yeah. day rate, couple hundred bucks, you know, and then same thing with the feature was not much more. I mean, it was still a yeah. very low budget feature, yeah. but he got, he got an Oscar for that performance. And uh, I think they, I think Blumhouse still owed him some money. We're like, Hey, we're yeah. trying to get hold of JK. We got I, another like 300 bucks for his last two days. Yeah. You know, like, it's like, wow, you know, that's crazy. I, yeah. I think the way it works is. Yes, I think material matters, but I think more importantly, you have to believe in the people selling you the material. You know, JK yeah. must have had a meeting with, uh, I'm sorry, what was the director? Damien Chazelle. Damien Chazelle. These are young kids. And when you look at young artists and you're an artist and you buy into what their vision is. Mm -hmm. And, you know, if your schedule fits, I imagine if you're JK Simmons and your schedule fits and you buy into a great meaty role you can get into. Yeah. And, you know, he had a vision clearly, yeah. which was to shoot the short and use that to raise the money for the feature, you know? And what, the short took place in one room, so it wasn't, couldn't have been that crazy of a shoot. Right, yeah. it was just a music room. I wanna, I wanna say something about that, like to young filmmakers out there who might be, you know, listening to this, who, if you've got a short film or a proof of concept or something you're looking to get made and you might wanna go for a name actor like a J.K. Simmons or someone recognizable, yeah. don't be afraid to go for it. Just <clears throat> be ready with your stuff, have a vision, Yep. Have a pitch deck, have visuals, be energized and 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 super connected to whatever it is you're trying to make. That's why it's important to make material that you're connected to because that passion shows through. It's exactly what Jerry's talking about here. With Even with a green filmmaker, with someone brand new, Damien Chazelle was able to get that connection and make it because he had a great vision and a great plan of attack and yeah. a great script. Yeah, I mean, like anyone starting out indie-wise, you have to convince everyone around you that, uh, you have something worthwhile to get involved in and it's worthwhile to just sort of build that relationship with me now as we grow. Um, and then obviously you have to prove it on the day and keep proving it yeah. over yeah. and over again. Yeah. yeah. But right off the bat, you know, you got to be someone who, you know, and you know, you can recognize it. You sit down with someone, you know, and it yeah. doesn't always work out. They're, right. It's like venture capitalism. Like right. even actors are taking their gambles with different directors they're working sure. with, you yeah. know. Sometimes they overextend themselves or sometimes they get themselves into something like, what the F did I just get myself into? Right. Mm -hmm. right. Um, and, but they stay committed and you just keep moving and learning. But That's absolutely right. Yeah. That's totally true. I, I love that. And I think it's, again, for, for filmmakers, young or old, just starting out or even established, it's, that's really the key is having passion, a vision, 
knowing what you're about to do, even if it doesn't go exactly the way as planned, you it's really about those connections. And that's where you really start to make waves and make you know, noise in the industry. I feel like there's a level of confidence that you have to have. And I, I'm saying this knowing that at, at times, a lot of times, I doubt myself. Mm. You know, like every movie that we've made and got re- released has been, re- and has it's been released in some theatrical manner as well. Incredible. Like it's, to us, it's like, okay, well, that's kind of just how it's supposed to be. That's how we do things. We make it for that to happen. And it has happened. We are also often told how miraculous that is because all the films we've done have been independently made. And so uh, I feel very lucky, but at the same time, none of those have had like real big names in them. Mm-hmm. So, which is also a, another pretty like miraculous thing. Wait, you haven't had real big names. So they've been virtual unknowns in these things. True. I think it probably helps you guys. And I think you guys are in a genre where you don't need the big names. I think the, the, the star is the genre. Right. You know what I mean? It is. It is. I feel like as we're moving on, I feel like the next big step for us is to do more with yes. bigger names. And uh, at hopefully, not like, oh, hopefully, yeah. hopefully not hopefully not independently. Yeah, with but, studio money. <laughs> well, true. But at the same time, I feel like there's some real control and power in being able to do it independently. Like we have a slate of films that we are hoping, hoping to do that we can that we will do, do independently. <laughs> yeah, that we will do. Uh, and we can do them independently. If we do them with the studio, that'd be great. But but I feel like it's something that if we reached out to the right people, they would be interested in doing it because of our track record and the dedication we put into every every little thing. The actors that we have worked with have gone on to some really big things. And they know that if I'm in something with Chris and Travis or a Tremendum Pictures film, the best frame of me is going to be shown every possible moment. And every every detail that they can take will do that. And I think having that in the film will solidify those relationships, like I'm sure it, with Melora and her cast mm-hmm. in, in Drowning. Um, it's like, it's so important to for people to know how dedicated each person is going to be to their role. Mm-hmm. Yeah. You know, I feel like all projects, they you start with 100% trust and then you can chip away at it, you know, if you're not doing your job or right, at least right. trying to improve every day, you know. Right. Um, it's like, you know, I forget who told me, but you know, as a producer, you got to earn it every day. It's yeah. not something just because you have a title that you can get that respect from. You have to be proving it every day, one shape or form, one solution here, one major crisis here, whatever it is that you're doing your best and that your decisions are going to be best for everybody. Um, right. Yeah, I love so that. It's the same for, you know, what, what you're talking about with um, projects. You guys are showing with each project, not only that, but, you know, each film is improving in terms of yeah. the quality of cinema and, and filmmaking and held was great, you know, and beautiful. And I already yeah. told you, I'm going to steal that house for another. <laughs> yes. We, we might which go, I want to see. We want to go yeah. check that While out we're today. we're in Fresno. Or I go bug, bug the homeowner. That's all you can do is start building a resume of proof of uh, effort yeah. and, and credibility, you know, yeah. and then you never know, like say you guys have a script and there's a name you're look, looking for and there's a producer that has a connection to that person. Next, you know, Sell sell us to that actor yeah. and get them to buy in. Yeah. And then that's, you know. That's another great strategy packaging. too. Packaging. Packaging. Basically. If you, let's say back to that scenario, if you have a film that you're trying to get off the ground and you're trying to get a name actor or someone recognizable in it, 
and you want some proof of your talent, go make something that doesn't need that person that just is awesome. Yeah. You know, go make a, sh a horror short film that stars no one but yourself or whatever, your friend, and just kick butt and make it awesome. And it's like, boom, now you all of a sudden have a proof of your talent. You have a proof of your capabilities and you can show that to people. I mean, we've done the exact same thing. We made trailers, proof of concepts. We've shown you some of those. Yeah. Um, and that goes a long way. I mean, it really does. I mean, because really, otherwise, people are just kind of taking you at your word. But, you know, the proof is in the pudding, as we said earlier. Like, yeah. it's go make something and show them, you know? Yeah, yeah. There's all sorts. You know, writing is another quick, powerful way to just writing immediately well. respond to people. Mm -hmm. They're going to read something and it just reads beautifully or like something they've never seen. Yep. Yeah. You never know what can happen there. Where can people see Drowning? Where is it? Drowning? Um it was bought by Gravitas, and I think you can get it on VOD. Um, All the VOD platforms. Yeah, or that deal is still being struck. The pandemic kind of messed things up. and Right. Yeah, did a for a lot bit. of movies, unfortunately. Yeah. yeah, we basically went from opening in Rome to being nominated for Best Feature at Austin, and then I went to Sundance started drumming up all this feature. It was my first feature that I had produced, mm -hmm. and drumming up all this business, and the pandemic hit. And only recently have I picked back up all the feature stuff, um, which has been incredible because I'm, you know, I'm working with Europe a lot, and I'm also working with a big Latinx slash Asian um, producing partner. Yeah. So we're doing a lot of stuff like that. It's like now, I mean, every day is still new for me. I'm, yeah. you know, I'm learning every day. I always find myself. <laughs> I had to ask myself, why do I always feel like I'm over my skis a little bit, you know? But um, I think I'm always just pushing for learning growing and trying to do things like I'm just not interested in doing the exact same thing and settling and finding a way and just keep you know yeah raking on that I just want to keep uh growing and there's so much to learn in this business it really is and there's so many different aspects to making a film yeah you don't even realize until you make one I mean you think okay I point a camera and I film something but there's so much more <laughs> After the fact, marketing, it's, it just goes on, endless, and on Yeah, the back, the business end, the back yeah. end, like the physical production side, I feel pretty comfortable about, you know, and the the creative side, the talent side, because I've been there. I've done a lot of that, you know, and, mm -hmm. you know, early on with the stuff you produce, you do a lot of the own editing. Like I've done all of those things. I have a, I have <laughs> Johannes Yoing, if you ever look him up, he has a lot of editing credits. That's uh -huh. me. <laughs> oh, that's you. <laughs> what? Is that a pseudo name or something? It is. I think someone messed up, like John Travolta or something. I think maybe with Idani Menzel's name, and he had like some sort of like John Travolta fire, and I put in Jerry Ying. And uh -huh. Johannes Yoing, like some Scandinavian guy came out, and I basically put all my editing credits onto him. Oh, one day he man. may win an Oscar, and no one will show that's up. That's hilarious. Yeah. <laughs> that is so funny. I remember Wait, isn't that, that the Cone Brothers? Wait, someone does that. There's some big director. There is like a pseudonym for directors that decide not to take the directing credit. And that shows there is up. There's a, like a common one that a lot of people use. It's like Atticus Rex or something oh, weird like that. It's yeah, really yeah, weird. Yeah, I can't yeah. remember what it is. I got to look that up actually. Yeah, yeah. But I, that rem <laughs> just reminded me of the John Travolta. Adele Dazeem. Adele Dazeem. Adele. Yeah. By the way, I'm connected to that in a weird way. My my college friends all went to uh, Syosset High School, three of them. Jason mm -hmm. Pascal and Idina Menzel are from that high school. And they so when Rent was in the East Village where I lived, off, off Broadway, uh -huh. I saw Rent. 
Oh, nice. Alan, Alan Smithy. That's what it is. <laughs> Alan Smithy. Alan Smithy is the official pseudonym for used by film directors who wish he's, to disown. He does a sound like a crappy director. He sounds like a smarmy, crappy director. Yeah. Coined, a rich coined, father. Yeah, coined in 1968 and used until it was formally discontinued in 2000. Okay. I hope to never use that. Never have to use that. Well, it's Alan been discontinued Smithy. apparently, but oh, the Smithy pseudonym was created to use for the film Death of a Gunfighter, released in 1969. Lead actor Richard Widmark was unhappy with director Robert Totten. That's hilarious. Anyway. By the way, that's not why I created my name. I loved all my editing. Yeah, yeah. Right. That's, not, that's not what this we're talking about This is also part here. of what I was talking about earlier, about not taking every credit. Like, what are you trying to do? What What's the big picture? Yeah, Instead yeah. of like, I'm the writer, I'm the lead actor, writer, director, editor. Like, yeah, of course, anyone's baby. You're going to do all the, you're the biggest producer. Yeah. There's no doubt. It's a little bit you know I mean? Robert Rodriguez on some of that stuff for yeah. us. Um, and Chris and I, I think, have been trying to do less of that. We just recently were working on the title credits for our our, our TV pilot that we did. And we were, we were talking about this very same thing. Yeah. We could have credited ourselves like four more times. And I was like, nah, we should probably narrow it down a little bit. Like, yeah, let's, let's take the credits this. that matter the most. You know, so one of the ways I look at it is it's also unsustainable. And you know there are people that do it that are just way better than you at it. And you want to foster their growth. Like, yeah. you look at Spielberg and everyone he works with is like a maestro. And yeah. those are relationships yeah. started young. And mm -hmm. if you keep growing work, they keep getting better at what they're doing. And yeah. honestly, what you really want is... For some, for you to hand over and trust someone, and them to bring yep. it back to you, way better than you ever imagined. Yeah, and even if not, you're cool with it because yeah. you know not everything's gonna be perfect, and there's no such thing. It's just sort of and just on to the next. Everyone thing. should be doing what they're best at doing. Yeah, yeah. and we we have gone from being. It's like having kids. Uh, your first kid, like you're boiling the pacifier if it touches the ground. Uh, even if it's face up, you know, wrap them in bubble wrap bubble. Yeah. The second kid, you're like, Oh, that fell in the dirt. And then you put it back in their face. You know, the third kid, you're like, I don't even know where that kid yeah, you're is. Brave. Yeah. I stopped Gone. after the first kid. Yeah. You have three. I have four kids. Four. Yeah. You four didn't kids. meet the youngest. When you Why came do in. I feel like there's going to be a fifth? <laughs> no, he's, he's, he's we're, done. we're, we're done. Four is the new 10. So. Four is the new 10. Yeah. So. Speaking of 10, uh, Trina, our wardrobe. Lady, she has ten kids. She's moving out of California. Ten kids. Ten kids. Yep. Oh my god! You could just train them all to be like crew. They were all on the film set. Yeah, at <laughs> one time or another, or they've all helped. It's pretty whatever. awesome. It's like the Jackson Five, but for like film. Just yeah. <laughs> but there was something we were talking about right before we started rolling that uh, I found interesting. There was something you said about um, Tropic Thunder, <laughs> which we love. We, by the way, it's one of our favorite Hilarious. comedies. Robert Downey right. Jr. And that this is it's where the story so started. Funny. So. I was in Bucharest uh, three weeks ago. We were doing a TV doc series on the sewer kids. First of all, the hardest work I've ever done, but also the most rewarding. I now know that um, survivors of sex trafficking, sex trafficking are by far the strongest people on this planet. Wow. Like, oh, yeah. By far. Um, but the last day we were there, we had these two villas outside Bucharest and our camera operator, who was a big cinephile, he's Italian from... Uh, Tuscany or Florence. I think he's from Florence. No, he's from Tuscany. And him and his father were the two, were camera one and camera two. And we had like artists, production designers, and half the villa had left and gone to northern Bucharest to go to a prison to capture some pickup stuff. Mm -hmm. And it was our last night and he cooked us this amazing dinner. By the way, bolognese is not a real thing. 
that's American invented. Huh. They oh. could not stop talking about it. So he made us like ragu toscana, which was delicious. And he goes, we are going to watch my favorite film. And I was like, what is he going to bring? And he's like, this is my favorite film of all time. And it's amazing. And I go, what are we watching? And he goes, Tropic Thunder. <laughs> <laughs> and I, I yeah. swear to God. I was at the same time mortified and so happy <laughs> and I couldn't believe it. And then I was like, I'm about to, I haven't seen Tropic Thunder in a decade. And we sat down and I was also curious as like, how are all these Europeans? Cause we had Italians, we had um, Austrians, we had Germans, we had a whole consortium of European crew, mm-hmm. which is its own story mm-hmm. and how different that is in American production. But they got every joke. And I forgot how amazing that film is. And what we were talking about was the sad thing is I don't think you can make that film today. Can't do it. Can't do it today. And some of the funniest aspects of that movie are the aspects that everyone attacks. They went after everybody. Yeah, no one was safe. And uh, but honestly, I I have faith that I think uh, like this whole cancel culture and lack of humor, general humor. In entertainment now, we'll come back. It has to. It's going to swing back. Well, because- I mean, look, it's the problem, I think, is that people want to take something that's, for most people, like clearly a joke or clearly intended to like, you know, swipe at something, you know, and they actually want to take it and try to like take control over that person and what they said and not yeah. allow for the understanding of the nuance of the joke or the deeper meaning behind the joke. Uh, a lot of cases it's manipulative and it's done with malice to try to hurt that person. Other times the person is actually just not smart enough to understand yes. the, the several <laughs> well, layers deep of that joke. And so they're like, you this, and it's like, okay, do I continue to argue with this person? How stupid they are. They don't understand the joke or you just have to kind of let it roll off your back. Yeah. You kind of have to let it roll off your two, back. Two elements to this. One is I think, I think we're conscious enough as a society to know when someone is just ignorant and making jokes or actually malicious in making jokes and someone who's actually aware and empathetic and an artist reflecting back on the absurdity of sort of like situations. Like I think we're all, we can all see through that. That is one element. The other element is social media, which is like, why are we letting these people who hide – do they create anything in their lives? What do they do in their lives that exactly. they can judge what yeah. artists who are actually putting themselves out there, risking living in the arts and actually adding to something? Right. I think I heard read something great recently. Someone said something to Mike Rowe, who I like a lot. Mike Rowe, he's the Dirty Jobs guy. He had a show oh. called Dirty Jobs. Yeah, yeah, I remember that, was, was I an mean, op- that show. He was an opera singer, uh, a really smart guy. And he's about like the nuts and bolts, hard work, grinding, get a vocation, learn to weld. Don't do like underwater basket weaving at the college. You know, like one of them, one of them will get you a, a, a That's sustainable actually a major. income. That sounds amazing. Well, right, right. Too many people thought it was amazing. And now we have a bunch of people with degrees that don't get them any work, you know? Yes. And, he, and now they teach underwater basket. That's right, all they can do. Now they're teachers. So they it's, get a PhD perpetual, to teach it's that. perpetual education. I, I had a friend who went to school and he just kept going to school. And I was like, what is this eternal students? Like what's the, there's a problem. The one group in life that I tend to find myself at odds with all the time are academics. Mm. Yeah. It's, it's for some reason we're just like that. Yeah. Well, he, this is what he had said. The person says, well, I can't respect a guy that would say this or that. And he says, what makes you think that 
I care about your respect. <laughs> and it's like, yeah. so the you're person, some random person on social media. Like, like I don't care. I don't care know? what you have I mean, to say. We now yeah. know social media, the loudest voice. It's just like the election, just like the yeah. four years. I mean, the, the bigger question is how do we come, how do we come back from that? How mm-hmm. do we create no, an no, environment I, that's not so toxic and vitri- like, well, no, here's the, I'm pr- moving to Europe. Cause here's the thing. Here's the thing. <laughs> I'm like not joking. Here's I'm the thing here. I, in, in watching news, and watching even a lot of late night comedians, a lot of that is hate-filled, like one-sided disdain for other people. Mm-hmm. Like it's not funny anymore. Like I loved Jimmy Fallon, Kimmel, like all these guys, but like even Letterman, I was a big Letterman fan growing yep. up. I, I, I was able to, respect was preserved for Leno to me because he's someone that I think cared about everyone, even if he disagreed with other people, he understood that other people I disagree with might be coming from a place that I've never been. So I have to consider that Mm. when I'm talking about those things. But like, there's some straight up just like hate coming out of people that are, it's supposed to be It might be because Leno's a minority. He might have more understanding of like trying to understand other people, you know? Well, there's a different era too, I think. Leno comes from an era of people really having to grind and not that Fallon hasn't and some of these guys haven't, but this modern way of, of viewing things or comedy or the instant gratification, like a lot of people just don't understand. And it's echoed on social media. This is what I think. It's echoed on social media. And this is why I'm probably going to be living in Europe. I'll still be working in LA, but I think I'm (laughs) building all the bridges to to be be able to not be living here. Um, Mm -hmm. Is that I feel like the romance is gone in America. The the concept of that, the idea of like anti-intellectualism is running stuff right now. And there's just no, you just can't do anything here and be free to sort of make mistakes and oh, learn yeah. and grow. And, and it's and, sad. It's very sad. And now everything, as soon as you do something, it's immediately judged and it's being judged by the, you know, my problem with social media was always the far 10% on the left and the far 10% on the right. Both of them were equally culpable just, just, to me yeah, gross. of where we are right now. Yeah. Right. Um, just the most people that, Clearly to me, the more miserable you were with your own life, the more you were exuding that and into putting it on everyone else, yeah. else's life. Because I yeah. think the seventy percent in the middle, or you there's know, a whole reasonable, reasonable bunch in people. the middle, yeah, yeah, that are now being forced to like Look, choose. I was in like, Sturgis. No. I don't know if you guys know what Sturgis is. Yeah, yeah, the it's biggest mo- yeah. biker capital. Yeah. yeah, so I did a show there. Um, it was amazing. I was asked like. Hey Jerry, like you know, you ride motorcycles, right? I was like, well, I used to, I used to own, but you know, since I had my kid, I don't. But they were like, how about we trailer four motorcycles out to Sturgis for you, and you do something and produce this and and do this show for us? I was like, yes. that would be awesome. Yes, and but with that came me really embedding with a lot of um, trailer parks and camper, you know, sites, and I mean. Everywhere, like you, you could, I could have grabbed some gravel and thrown it at any RV or any group, and they would have invited me over for a beer. And I talked to a lot of people. Basically, to me, it was most of America. They would invite their neighbors over for a drink. Yeah. You could yeah. have differing opinions and yeah. have reasonable conversations. Yeah. Where, contrarily, in LA, if I threw stones, I'm probably going to hit 50% of a holes. That yeah. I really want to talk to, yeah. which is interesting. Made yeah. me realize I I've agree. been living in the two biggest bubbles. I was in New York City for 12 years. Yep. And I've been in LA for 14 years. But where I feel like there's real people taking you for your face value for what you are. I feel like New York City has that actually. But yeah. 
the middle of the country also has that also. And the social media has made it, has given the brand, we've all been branded wrong, I think. Yeah. yeah. And, and, and the thing is too, is like you hit, you hit this perfectly is when you actually sit down and talk to people, all, a lot of those disagreements fade away. You really understand their perspective, their point of view, where they're coming from. And you want to like, hear them. And you want to hear it. You yeah. want to have that dialogue. It, it, that doesn't exist on social media. And no one's mind will ever be changed. It's just because you can type something and you don't have to look at someone just, in the face and say it. Yeah, you just you wipe your say hands. something mean and not worry about like yep. what are the consequences of me saying something this angry to someone. That we're moving now into that like Wally world where, yeah. you know, which is kind of scary. And it's weird because like when I'm right next to someone, I can get a vibe uh, from them, from looking at them, from being around their presence. And that's one of the reasons I think a lot of podcasts are doing well is because you can go on a journey with someone. You can understand yeah. the nuance. You can be like, oh, I remember him talking about this and he didn't fully understand it. But like now I see he's kind of come around. He's like, I see the error in what I was thinking then. It's a journey of learning mm-hmm. and, and no one is allowing for it to happen. You have to be perfect. You have to be a hundred percent. It's like, like, how are you going to cancel Kevin Hart? <laughs> one of the funniest <laughs> dudes so on the planet. Funny. One of the hardest working guys on the planet. I think one he of survived the, most tolerant the guys. though. I think he yeah, survived. I think he made it He through. did, but he had to, he you had to cancel back. You, you gotta have lay... to cancel. I think you have to cancel back a little bit on some of these. Hashtag cancel back. Hashtag cancel back. <laughs> We're starting it right start now. It right Hashtag now. cancel back. <laughs> cancel oh, back. you cancel me? Oh no, well, I, I didn't even hear what you just said. I didn't even hear what you just said. You know why? Because you got canceled by me. Cancel back. Cancel back. Hashtag cancel back. Oh my God. We are so screwed. <laughs> We're all. No, but there's something, even Matt Damon just said, he, he, he studied for the Stillwater movie. He lived mm-hmm. with some folks and did well like, at con. I heard he got a five minute standing ovation. Yeah, it's great. Uh, and, and he was like, look, we learned a lot from being with people that we're not normally with or that we didn't grow up with. And, and I, there's a lot to learn about. That. I think you're right though. Going back to what you started saying, Jerry, is I think it is going to swing back. I think people are going to start seeing like, yeah, this is kind of crazy. We're going way overboard. Let's get back to normal or some semblance people of normal. People are getting canceled for something they tweeted when they were like 14. Yeah, it's, it's ridiculous. Break. It's ridiculous. You know what I mean? It doesn't we wouldn't make have any anyone in any positions of power right now. I mean, come on. Like, honestly, I, I, look, I wouldn't be, I would have been canceled 10 times. Trust yeah, me. Yeah. Thank God I had no phone. No one or is squeaky clean. Like all, all of our presidents, Young? all of our presidents for the last thirty years would have been George in jail. Bush. Yeah, <laughs> for sure. Oh, dude, even Biden. Like that guy has he plagiarized left and right and lost several presidential elections early on in his oh. career. And I'm like, how the he heck? just seems more boring than yeah, Bush. Yeah. Bush. Yeah. Uh, he would have not... been more. He was probably more like one of us. <laughs> he would sit here and like hack it up with us. Bush was more of like a beer guy. Yeah, yeah. yeah. Like oh, I'll oh, have yeah. a beer with you, like a Bradley Cooper. People like him because you could have a beer with him. I voted for Bush in his first election. You know, I went from being a Democrat to voting for him because I couldn't see myself voting for Al Gore. Yeah. I kind of resent that vote because I feel like we've been at war in the Middle East for the last 20 years. Let's not get the politics, boys. No, 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 no. (laughs) Well, listen, though. Listen, I think a lot of the things that, that the left represent and the right represent they, I think they both want the same thing. I think they're they're painted as being polar opposites. But what it is, is they believe that things went down differently. And so it's like, well, there's manipulation on both sides. So like, for example, someone on the right may say, well, I like, I like Trump because of what he did for black people. And someone on the left would be like, I hate Trump because of what he did for black people. Both people are 
for black people in that instance. Do you see what I'm saying? So yeah. it's like, well, what's the truth about what really went down yeah. then? And and who, how are people are being manipulated to think different things? So it's like, I hate this group. I hate this group. But it's like, wait, we both want, we both want prosperity for minorities. Well, this blew my mind. I think when I was flying to Europe, you know, my flight out, I read an article it was about quantum physics. I don't read these things. I think it just showed up in my feed. I was like, is <laughs> Oh, this is what I'm ready for. Yeah. This is my jam but right it, here, quantum they said physics. They proved it. They said they proved that one, a fact can be perceived in two completely different ways. And they weren't talking about spoken facts or historical facts. It was uh, like a proton or some sort of quantum physics, mm -hmm. you know, whatever the word was, that if you looked at it in two different ways, that fact expressed two different realities but mm. a, one single fact. And it kind of, it may be too simplified and oversimplified, but I was like, that's got to explain so much to me. I can live with that because yeah. you can look, it's just like any sort of um, murder trial, right? Yeah. Two experts, experts right. are hired by two different sides right. and give two completely different stories. Right. And so therefore, the level of empathy I have now reached over after 20 years of working at it is that I feel like everyone's point of view is valid. Yeah, yeah. And yeah. And, and but no it, one wakes up thinking, um, I want to lie to myself yeah. or I want to wake up and make my life worse. I think everyone believes that what they're doing for whatever, you know, you don't want to take the- However big, correct or misguided it may be. How, even if they're being misguided, th it's true to them. It's like when you're an actor, they always said, you know, because I did play a lot of bad guys like in indie films, mm -hmm. is that, you know, they always said that that guy doesn't think he's the bad guy. Yeah. Right, he, he thinks, thinks he's the good guy. And yeah. so don't play the cliche. Right. And the best actors that play the bad guys like good guys, you love them. Yeah. Yeah. Because they yeah. really believe what they're doing like is right. Gene right. Hackman as Lex Luthor yeah. or whatever. He he reads that oh, script yeah. and he's not playing to the cliche. Yeah. You know what I mean? Yeah. It's interesting because I, I feel like if people- <laughs> that's, a, that's an old reference. No, I, I like that. No, like no, that's a good on one. That's a good one. Um, but if people will- just like take a deep breath and and seek first understanding. Seek first understanding. Yes, yes. That we would get everyone would get along. Everyone, well, not everyone would get along because some people want to manipulate and have. This power. is what this is what I say, and because I feel like I'm living proof positive of it. I used to have zero empathy. When I say zero empathy, growing up, I was like, if I could do it, you could do it, and I learned that in like an improv moment in drama school where I realized I had a problem, but. It's taken concerted effort for 20 years to keep working on empathy, working on asking people and talking and being open to like a lot of, you know, like I remember so my friend took me out to dinner and when we talked, he was like, you're a terrible listener. And meanwhile, I'm talking over him. He's like, you see? Well, <laughs> you what are you talking about? I, yeah. I'm, yeah. I'm a fantastic no, listener. Let me tell you how good of a listener I am. No, let me tell you how good of a listener I am. Exactly. <laughs> exactly. Like, that was me. But you have to have a certain level of humility and you have to give over yep. to not being the winner, not being right. And it's taken 20 years. And so when I look at, when I can, I can recognize someone that's unempathetic very quickly but I also recognize how much work I had to put in over years to become empathetic. Mm -hmm. So it's not something that can just happen overnight. It takes real right. work and you right. have to want it. Yeah. And I don't believe most people want it. It's well, too hard. Hard work. It's like working out. It's like uh, uh, trying to- It's like character work. Yeah, it's like going yeah. to the gym work. for your character. Yeah, it's, it's hard. 
I don't want to do it. And I know people, I'm going to have to really focus well, and go for it. And to, people don't want to change. And you mess up along the way. You don't want to change either. I mean, that's uncomfortable. Yeah. It's uncomfortable to change. Well, you also have improve. to believe it's a, a better path. Like, yeah. you know, you have to believe that I'll be better for this. Um, and the only reason I even came to those realizations is I kept running across people that I really admired and respected. And they were like, what's wrong with you? <laughs> You're like, what are you talking Sometimes about? Sometimes it takes that hard conversation. I was conversation. like a frat boy, you know, that went into the arts. So I understand <laughs> that. <laughs> frat boy in the arts. <laughs> All right, our episode sponsor today is travelisswell.com. Travelisswell.com has a knowledgeable traveling specialist team. Uh, they handcraft every aspect of your vacation experience. They've been to the resorts. They know what takes place at them. So when you explain what you're looking for, they know exactly what to give you. Make sure you visit travelisswell.com. Enter in promo code TREMENDUM. That's T-R-E-M-E-N. D-U-M. And you'll get 10% off your next luxury vacation. And I'm talking like luxury. Like they have the, the white sand beaches. They have the candlelit gourmet restaurant dinners, lavish, stylish suites, all kinds of magnificent things that you can do on your trip. And they will know exactly how to tailor make it to you and the experience that you are either looking for or desperately in need of. So make sure you visit travelisswell.com and get your getaway on today. Promo code Tremendum. We're, we're here with Jerry Ying, guys, producer, filmmaker, um, production company owner. Jerry, uh, we connected with Jerry through a, a short film, actually, called Attorneys at Love. Yes. And uh, we, Jerry produced this short with uh, our director friend Daniel Finlay, who's you super guys did cool too, guy. right? You we guys did. were producers on. That's how we got connected. We came in we late in the game as executive producers and helped with some stuff in post, and um, really just kind of the movie was already shot and done. It was great, and we came in at the last second to help Daniel with a oh, few things. Oh, that's right. This is a yeah. great story, by the way, about filmmaking. It Daniel, really, yeah, Daniel is amazing. So, I mean, the cast of this short film was basically the cast of Nine One One, the TV show. Peter Krause. Yep. Kenny Choi, who I actually know and I love. He's a, he's great, great. He's a good friend of mine. Angela Bassett. like Yeah, the narrator. Voice. Yep. Um, and I remember being like, how did you get this cast? And apparently he was a PA. He was a PA on the show 911. Yeah. And while he was there, I mean, this is such a good lesson for anyone out there. There's yeah. so many ways to, to break into this industry. But he built relationships and he's got an energy and a vibe about him. Like, okay, I, I believe in this guy. Yeah. Um, very confident dude. He's got his ways. I remember like he yelled at someone for not wearing a tie. Like he has an idea of what it means to present being successful. He yeah, wore, being like, yeah. wore a suit and tie on yeah, set. Right? On set. You very know Christopher I mean? Nolan it's right there. Very, very. <laughs> I mean, I was a producer and I was like way underdressed. <laughs> yeah. But I was also not going to put on a freaking tie to go produce something. <laughs> it's um, hot out there. Come on. <laughs> he put together and, and convinced all these people. He wrote a script. Well, he had a writer. He was working with a writer. The mm -hmm. script's good. Attorneys yep. I Love. It's sort of um, like a time travel -ish. Yeah, maybe we'll play Maybe we'll play a little clip here. If you're watching on YouTube it's or fun. listening, we'll play a little clip. Daniel, yeah, it's kind of like a sliding doors sort of thing, right? With, yeah. Uh, Peter Krause and Kenny are the two lawyers for, the, for this yeah. couple. 
And um, it's fun. It's a really they, fun. They concept. go through all the things that they would go through or are about to go through and have to determine if they're going to come together. If oh, they're going to do right. it. That's a concept. If you knew what was ahead of you, yeah. as would a couple, you, as a couple, would you get into it? And then it goes into this sort of like sci-fi alternate space reality. It's like a pre-crime. You know, it's yes. like a Minority Report, but for just for couples. You know, yeah. yeah it's like it's, if you knew ahead of time that you know such and such person yeah. was going to. It's funny and it's thought-provoking. Yeah. And, anyways, that's where. We met, and yeah. I think Robert Siegel brought us together. That's right, Rob. Like, Both Rob and Daniel were planning to have on the show um, to talk about directing and, of course, market research, which is incredibly interesting. But Jerry produced that film. Yeah, that was an easy job for us to come in and support um, how we support it. It was yeah. not a money job, let's put it that way. It right. wasn't. It wasn't for us either, um, but- uh, but hey, we met each other. We yeah. did meet and yeah. we we uh, have accomplished a lot of cool things since. But there is a feature script for that. Yeah, it's yes. in the works. And uh, I've heard it's really good. Uh, did we, were we I got to read, taking a look at it? No, I got to read an early draft of it. Okay. I think they were still doing a lot to it, but it's, yeah, it's I read cool. An early draft. It, I, it was cool. I know Daniel was still working on some things, but yeah. It's it, an interesting, you know, it's interesting to think like those are, like I watched recently. Here's another film that would not get made today, but um, I forget where I was, but I was watching What Women Want. Yeah, exactly. Yeah. Yeah. Great one. Another great, very funny film. And I know they remade it the other way yeah. around with they did the women. With Taraj P. Henderson, right? Yeah. Was that, it Taraji P. Yeah. yeah. But I At was Paramount like, Plus. You, this okay. is such a gem. And it's also so a callback. Good. And a ter- like now everything is DC, Marvel, Studio. Like where are the rom-coms? Yeah, where yeah are rom-coms the, are gone. Those... They're all being put on streaming yeah. services. They're straight being done by streaming services because people are watching them more at home. Yeah, but they're fun to watch. They're so good. You get the real big movie stars. There's just something about watching it on the big screen with guys who, people who can really hold that screen. Mel Gibson was great in that one. Oh my God, he's so good. He's so funny. And uh, there were a couple younger actors that have grown into- Bigger things. Who else is in that one? I can't remember right now. Uh, From, she was in- Twister also. Oh, Helen Hunt. Helen Hunt. Well, she, she, was, was, she was big at the she time. Was, she was big at the time. She was great in it also. But I think his daughter, who was his daughter? Marissa Tomei. Oh, Marissa uh, Tomei Alan Alda. She's always great. Alan Alda. Oh, Alan Alda was the agency so guy. Uh, um, Marissa Johnson. Tomei played a very, I was wondering about that. Judy Greer. Judy, oh, Greer. Judy Greer, right. Sarah Polson. That's mm-hmm. right. Marissa Tomei played just a sort of outside love interest, like a sort of a secondary character. And yeah. I was wondering, I was like, this is kind of a, too small of a part. Maybe this preceded Vin, my cousin Vinny. I, 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 I think I, it may have. No, no. It, maybe it was right around the same time. Because I can't imagine going from an Oscar nom to this role. This was a full on just- Right, right. But it, she, yeah. She's great. What Woman Want was 2000. Uh, my cousin Vinny would have been before that. Oh, it sure. would have been in the 90s. Yeah. Yeah. That film you could still read. That was in 92. No, you shouldn't. It was 92. The two youths. The two, <laughs> two youths. So what? what's, what's, what's next for you, Jerry? What's, what's cooking? Um, well, I just got back from Bucharest. We're doing this TV series, um, doc series on the sewer kids. So literally just got back from that. Um, we're, I've got like three or four scripts. We're sort of trying to get those final pieces together to package. Mm-hmm. And I think right now what I'm doing is I'm really establishing myself in terms of how I want to work as a producer. So I'm working with Michaela Scolari out of Italy. and She has every project she brings across my table. I'm just in love with because she's so passionate about the subject matters. Mm-hmm. Um, and she has some amazing properties. And I kind of like the idea of um, European stories being told 
from an American perspective, and it, it fits certain stories. Some shouldn't, some do better not being told through a European perspective. Mm. Yeah. And then I'm now working with Lynette Cole, who used to be the head of development at Game Changers Films for okay. Effie Brown. And she recently left there, and we're working together. She's Latinx, um, obviously Asian. And is that we, so? Yes. <laughs> yes. I Hi, everyone. I'm Chinese. Yeah. <laughs> um, but we're, hey, I, you, you never know. I got to like, it's like you have to have a full conversation with you're someone. You're canceled. Yeah, I'm canceled. Like, like I don't want to. Cancel back. Cancel back. Cancel back. Hashtag cancel back. Hashtag cancel back. You go into Dumb and Dumber. Cancel back. You can't triple cancel stamp back. a double stamp. You can't triple stamp. Yeah. That sounds like a great band name. Yeah. Um, cancel back. So me and her are putting together a slate. We have like four or five films. We're trying to narrow down to three or four and going out and really going to studios and seeing We've tried to get in uh, some of our ideas with you as well, like trying we're, we're, to find some stuff yeah. that we can do together as well. Yeah, yeah. I mean, I think, first of all, you know I love Fresno. This yeah, is like dude. the studio that I want to like, I, I look at Fresno as a studio. <laughs> yeah, the whole yeah. thing, the whole um, place. And I mean, you know, I've shot a doc out here for Condé Nast. We, we spent a few days out here. I don't yeah. remember the drive being this far from LA, maybe because I was in a van and being driven. Yeah, there you go. Yeah. That'll but, be different. But uh I definitely, I was driving up here and I was like, what am I going to work with you guys? I know we just recently tried something with Dwight Little, the director of Halloween 4. Uh Um, But yeah, we're going to find something someday. Yeah. As we kind of come to a close here, guys, I want to ask Jerry, you know, from your time producing, especially, what have been, what are some of the top challenges producers face that you've faced and how do you, how do you face them? Hmm. That I faced, um, like like regular things that even come up all the time. Yeah, even, that, even that little things. New people or indie people would just not even realize. Yeah. Like, oh crud! I didn't even think that's a thing I would ever have to deal with or or go through. I mean, for me, my biggest is uh, staying organized. Staying organized because once you once you're in the producer headspace, and you there's a, there's a, hundreds of great ideas and so many great people to work with it's so easy to say yes let's do something let's do something i think the hardest thing has been to say this is not right for me right now um even with someone you really want to work with and even if it's good you kind of have to be able to say no you have to be able to not only that but you have to i mean one i'm still trying to navigate is how do you be an independent producer and still make money so that you're not suffering yeah. Um, on the financial side, you know, especially if you have a family and you don't have, say, like a job, like a head of development or head of production somewhere. Yeah. Right. Um, that balance has been tough. Um, but I think it's that's all connected. I think it's making sure you're you're clear about what your what your abilities are. Your scope is a word in terms of don't take on too much and just sort of being organized about it. And so this is all still very new for me. But now I'm starting to understand. Okay. This is the direction I want to move in. These are the people I want to move forward with. And these are the things I want to work together with, but also being very transparent to everyone. What you yeah. don't want to do in this industry is start promising everything to everyone and then getting caught up in just being very upfront and honest about it. Um, everyone understands that producing is um, it's time. And when you get involved yep. in someone, you're also using someone else's time if, if they think you believe in them. And so I think it's important to not waste people's time. Yeah. Uh, there's a there's a saying that has grown on me a lot. The more I hear it, it's I think I got it from like scripture or something. Church, maybe it was like from a church thing. But it, love is spelled T I M E, and I think that relates to 
just about that anything. That cannot be from the Bible. It's not from the Bible, but I think it's from someone in our church that that was like speaking a, like on a, a topic. A message. Yeah. And I just, I, I agree with in, that. I fell in love with that, but I think it totally relates to what you're talking about too. It's like the projects you love and the people you love, the people you want to work with, you got to devote adequate time to each and every one of them. Otherwise, like you said, you're going to look like you're falling apart and you're not trustworthy you're not someone that people want to work with because well, you you're will spread fall too apart. thin yeah you will fall yeah. apart and you you'll you'll lose yourself in a way that it's too hard mm. to gather yourself back you can do it but you go through some serious mental anguish mm-hmm. and distress and even depression some people by by not being able to be organized not being not being honest with yourself and your time and what you're capable of doing so like truly being honest with yourself will allow you to to put forth the proper amount of effort to maintain your own mental well-being and and yeah. f- and physical well-being because it can it can go past mental into yeah. just really dragging you, but to be able to have yourself straight in a way that you can help be a benefit to others and not not yeah. a burden. And I think there's another level even to that. Um, you don't know what you don't know, mm-hmm. and so I think it's really important to have to seek people who know yep. and be open to, you know. When I was in Italy, um, we were having this conversation and I've been moving towards a space of really trying to be direct in terms of all communication instead of like, if someone wants to work with you, then you don't have to like, it doesn't have to be this, we're friends, we're working. It's like, hey, I got this thing. Are you interested? No, cool, moving on. And you know, when you get to connect on something, it's great that you have a relationship. And so I've been trying to like, you know, I was having this conversation about, you know, I'm just trying to cut out all the BS. Yeah. And um, Michaela, to her credit, was sitting across from me. And she's like, look, and this is usually what I do to people. Mm-hmm. She was looking me right in the eye and she was like, you're not doing it yet. And I was like, that's totally fair. I'm trying. She's like, you're not doing it yet. And it just landed on me. And I think about it all the time. And a lot of that is people who have the strength to be able to look at you and tell you something that... um they're trying to express something to you because if you don't know, they're not going to spend all the time trying to explain to you. That's just the most direct way. Yeah. You know, and I've had that type of conversation where you're trying to stop, just focus. Yeah. This is what I'm telling you. Yeah. Take it or leave it, you know, because anyways. I think, I think, I think the people who care most about you are going to tell you the, the, the things that you want to hear least. Yeah. Yeah. Those, those enablers out there. Yeah. Those ones are the bad ones. Agree. Because they will, they will let you think that whatever you're doing is wonderful. That's how people like, talented people like Lindsay Lohan get in trouble. They get around people. They're like, oh, just go ahead. Oh, no, you don't need to change. You don't need to stop doing what you're doing. Oh, it's just do whatever you want. Don't let anyone tell you any different. That will get you in so much trouble. Yeah. The people that are willing to risk their friendship with you out of love for you, those are the ones you want to have yeah. nearest. And yeah. like being open to it. And so like one of the confidences, cause you know, you're right. There's a lot of times you're going to be in this business and it's going to challenge you to even believe in yourself. Yep. Um, and you will take on a little too much at different times. But, um, you know, I was on the red carpet at Rome and Gil Bellas and, and Christopher Backus, Mira's husband pulled me across the side and they were like, yo man, we go to war with you on anything. And they were like, look, you don't know what you don't know, but you have the goods. And I remember taking that in. And to me, I interpreted it as I'm willing to learn. Yeah. I'm willing to seek and I'm willing to learn. And I don't, my ego, I have a healthy ego, but my ego is not big enough 
to, I don't need to be right. It's not important to me um, being right. And um, I think that's an important way to move through this business as well. That's a great, great point. It's, I couldn't have said it better. A lot of great lessons in everything that you just said. Uh, For anyone listening out there who's interested in creating anything, writing, filmmaking, producing, um, a lot of it relationship is, building. is relationship building and it's just good human decency lessons that you're learning along the way. And uh, I think that's a great, great, great stuff. It's so connected. Yeah. Work and our, our work and life, it's, it's so connected if you let it. It really it is. It should be symbiotic. As you grow as an individual, it should make you a better producer or filmmaker and vice versa because yep. you're yeah. challenged all the time. Jerry, where can people follow you and uh, follow Hero LA Follow what you guys are doing. Where what's on social media? Where, um, where can we follow you? I think we're Hero LA on Instagram. Um, yeah, I'm True Ying on Instagram. Our website for our company is HeroLA.xyz. Um, Sweet, which is great because we thought we were being. <laughs> it's funny because XYZ is Google's Alphabet parent company, and right. we thought we were being like bespoke when we was like we're like yeah we're gonna we're gonna jump to dot xyz you know before anyone else and then no one jumped <laughs> and then we were like out on our own but now it's been long enough where i feel like it's kind of cool it yeah. is kind of cool yeah we're, yeah, we're www.herola.xyz that's awesome great. we'll, we'll um, throw that up here on the screen yeah and then just the heroes doing its thing i'm kind of doing my thing now it's always interconnected and i'm always trying to bring productions back to hero la but yeah i think that's kind of where you can find out what we're it's doing. awesome we're not huge social media guys i mean honestly when you're too busy it's impossible to like be constantly posting. Mm-hmm. You need someone. We need someone. Well, so if we, anyone out there wants to be a social media person, there you go. Wants to, wants to go on a journey with us. We're in need of one of those too, actually. Yeah. Maybe we'll tag team, find someone who can, who can double yeah. up. On yeah. That. yeah. I like that. Uh, Jerry Ying, everyone, this has been an awesome episode. It's been a pleasure to have Jerry up here in Fresno with us. We're going to spend some time actually the rest of the day going to see <laughs> some sites, show Jerry around. So stoked. We're excited some... to work on a project together yeah. yep. and have something more uh, to, to, to show people. Yeah, for sure. Absolutely. Yeah. Awesome. Yeah, you guys do such great stuff. Uh, I, the moment I met you guys, I believed in you and what you guys were doing and I related to you. And uh, I love that I'm sitting here in Fresno doing your podcast, honestly. <laughs> awesome, man. We're glad great. to have you. We really appreciate it. Jerry Ying, everyone. And thanks again. Join us next time on another episode of Unlikely Story. We're out. We're out.